Thanks to Bombfell for supporting Industry Focus. Bombfell is an online personal styling service for men that helps find the right clothes for you. Get $25 off your first purchase at bombfell.com slash fool. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, June 2nd, and we're following up on our gaming episode with a look at mobile gaming companies. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, how's it going? Pretty good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. We had a little bit of a false start today. I made my way down to the studio only for the building's fire alarms to go off and <laughs> send us outside. So, uh, we a little setback. We're recording the show a little bit later than we normally do. But uh, I guess you got a little extra time to play with your kid, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I had no fire alarms at my house. so Yeah. <laughs> Although you do have them installed, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, as I mentioned in our intro here, um, we talked about gaming last week. And we actually had a listener, Frank, reach out to us on Twitter and basically asked, you know, I listened to the video game episode you guys did. You mentioned EA, Activision, and Take Two as the big three. What other companies are in the gaming space, and you know how should we think about them? And so, kind of looking at the video game landscape, those are really the big ones when it comes to console publishers. Um, if you're looking for other ways to invest in gaming, you have the console makers. So you have the companies like Sony and Microsoft. And then you have some of the companies that make components that go into consoles. Um, or, or computers like NVIDIA. And then you also have mobile game publishers uh, like Zynga and Glue Mobile. And the difference here is they are creating games, they're, they're publishing games. However, they are doing it almost exclusively for mobile devices. Um, we're going to take a look at the mobile game publishers today. But I think before we get into that discussion, Evan, uh, just a couple stats to paint a picture on what's going on with mobile gaming. So, according to numbers from Superdata Research, mobile gaming hit worldwide revenue of over $40 billion in 2016, which is up 18% year-over-year and actually equaled global box office sales for the year. And most of that spending is coming in Asia. About 60% came from that region. Uh, North America market was worth roughly $7 billion. So, that is all to say there are a lot of tailwinds for this industry, and, and it's certainly growing. There, there's a lot going on, and I can see why investors would be interested in it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not a huge fan of mobile gaming companies. I mean, if we look at, I mean, Zynga and Glue as are kind of the the kind of more well-known names in the space and how they've done over the years, like it's been very poor. And I mean, both companies are kind of trying to put, put together these turnarounds. They both have new CEOs and they're both making like pretty substantial pivots in strategy. I mean, Zynga, I mean, Zynga used to be, I used to criticize Zynga all the time and I mean, <clears throat> they used to copy people shamelessly. The CEO was kind of, you know, Mark Pincus, I mean, he's still very involved in the company, but I mean, he was just such a terrible leader. And then they had Don Matrick come in for like a year <laughs> and then they got rid of him. I mean, there's just been so much turmoil at Zynga. Uh, but, you know, last March, I believe, they hired Frank Gibault from EA who had 20 years of experience at EA so I mean, he's a, a very well respected industry veteran and you know he's been really kind of leading the shift in strategy to away from kind of these like one hit wonders and more towards try, trying to make the business more sustainable because I mean these companies they put so much money into trying to developing these games and then and a lot of times they just flop because mobile game platforms are so competitive and it's really hard to set yourself apart 
So, you know, what they're doing now is they're trying to, you know, while they're, try- they're, they're kind of like slimming down how many new games they make, but still trying to invest in the games that are still bringing money. Um, and, they, you know, Zynga and Glue call these different things. I mean, Zynga calls them forever franchises, where Glue calls them evergreen titles. But, yeah, it's basically they mean the same thing, which is just these kind of games that have been out there for a while that were big hits, still bringing in revenue streams. Uh, for Zynga, that's like stuff like Zynga Poker. For Glue, that's, you know, like that Kim Kardashian game, for example. But, um, you know, there's a lot going on in these companies, but it's just a tough space. Yeah, I think the narrative is very similar for both of these. Um, you know, both of them had their top lines peak sometime a couple of years ago, and they are kind of trying to figure out how to get back to those good days. Uh, for Zynga, the company's top line peaked in 2012 at $1.3 billion, and that was really kind of fueled by their, their Farmville franchise, which is maybe what they're best known for. They also have words with friends and some casino-type games as well. Um, but they had a partnership with Facebook for a long time, and that was really just kind of throwing gas on the fire and fueling growth for them. Um, they have since fallen back to around a $750 million per year uh, top line. And you know, looking at that number uh, over the past 12 months, the company lost $100 million. Um, so, so they are not profitable on a gap basis. And 83% of their top line comes from mobile games. So they are what we'd kind of consider a pure play here uh, for those purposes. And and the story here with Glue is very similar. Uh, the company's annual revenue peaked in 2015 around 250 million and has kind of largely since lagged. They are also losing money. Uh, they lost 100 million dollars on 200 million in revenue over the last 12 months, um, and they pull in about 86 percent of the revenue via in-app purchases. The rest come via ads. But they are, you know, by and large, a pure play when it comes to mobile games. Um, you mentioned how they are looking to make that shift over to Evergreen. And that's really where we've seen the console publishers have a lot of success, right? So, you, so it's understandable that they want to make that pivot. I'm just not really sold that that's something that they're going to be able to do, given the nature of the mobile gaming industry. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because they. Ha- I mean, if you remember, Zynga a few years ago had that acquisition of OMG Pop, which was just a one-hit wonder. They made draw something, and then they immediately wrote down, like, like literally immediately, like it was like six months later, they wrote down almost the entire acquisition. <laughs> I mean, that was many years ago, but it's just an example of how tough the space is because it's all, you know, there's so many one-hit wonders in mobile games, and I mean, you can't just keep chasing those. And, and I mean, for Glue, they've had this big, they used to have this big strategy of celebrity-based games, so the Kim Kardashian was the big one, but I mean, they had games with like, Katy Perry, Nicki Minaj. I mean, they have a, a cooking game now with Gordon Ramsay, and they they have another game coming out with Taylor Swift that was delayed from last year to to this year, and they're kind of betting big on that. But they're they're overall they're trying to move away from that whole like celebrity based strategy because obviously celebrity endorsements are super expensive and they're very risky because if they flop, you just spend a ton of money to get the celebrity on board to partner with, and then you know if the game flops, it flops, and then everyone kind of loses. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at Zynga, I mean, I, I think investors are giving them credit for the turnaround. The stock's up like almost two thirds since Jibo became CEO. Um, and I mean, mobile revenue and bookings are both kind of at record levels. So I mean, I think they are they are making progress on the turnaround. But if we look at kind of the bigger picture, for example, five years ago, their their total monthly unique user base was about 180 million, and today it's less than 60 million. So that's less than a third. So I mean, 
their their user base is definitely shrinking, undoubtedly, without a doubt. And they are making some progress in terms of getting paid, convert like converting non-paying players to paid players. But it's a growing slice of a shrinking pie, so it, it's kind of tough to see where this goes long term. But I mean, to their credit, their the user base seems to have stabilized in this kind of 50, 60 million range. So it's not like it's it's falling rapidly from here. So it's kind of starting to flatten out. Um, so I mean, they, they do have a, a business they can build with that player base. Cause that's still quite a, quite a number of people. But I mean, and then if we kind of turn around again and look at Gloom in terms of more similarities, they ju- they just acquired Crowdstar in December for I believe forty five million dollars, and the big game there is Design Home, which is just like it's kind of like an interior design game that targets um, female gamers predominantly, and that's starting to see a lot of success. That was the big driver in Booking's last quarter. Um, but it's like these companies they have to rely on you know one hit wonders acquisitions, and you know it's. Just, I just don't see a lot of appeal as an investor because there's no, I mean, obviously from an investing standpoint, you want some a company that has like a long-term sustainable competitive advantage that can actually consistently, you know, turn out good games. And, but I mean, mobile games is just cutthroat industry. Yeah. And, and that's what we kind of see the difference between the mobile game publishers and the traditional publishers. Uh, you know, when EA comes out with the next version of FIFA, or EA comes out with the next version of Madden, you have people ponying up because they want the updated version of that. And um, and the, generally, the the life cycle of a customer on those um, you know traditional games tends to be a lot longer. Um, you know, they tend to play the game a lot longer. The, the retention's a lot better. Um, I think one of the other issues that these mobile publishers run into is um, you know they operate on the freemium model. And so you know for people that might not be as familiar with that, the idea is that these games are free and they bank on advertising and in-app purchases or microtransactions um, to really fuel the revenue growth and, and you know monetize the platform. And um, I was actually talking with Austin Morgan before the show, and we were talking about Candy Crush, which is which is owned by King Digital. And um, he said, like his his mom has been playing Candy Crush forever, and she has never paid to actually use it. You know, it, she's never really using any of the in-app purchases that are available, and she's only playing it to the extent that it is free for her. Um, that might make for a good user experience and allowing people to play for a long time, but it does not necessarily make for a great business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in-app purchases are so predominant in this industry now, and I don't know. It's like there's been a lot of debate over this for years about how sustainable it is because, I mean, in contrast to the legacy model of just charging a price up front for a game that you keep and you know, maybe you get some paid content on top of that as an add-on, but, I mean, most in-app purchases are just consumable, like digital consumable resources within a game, and, I mean, you buy it and then you immediately use it and then you're just left with this feeling that, you just wasted some money because you just you know you use whatever it is you bought and it's gone and now the game is asking you and prodding you to keep spending and keep spending and I mean it's crazy I mean maybe because I used to play a lot of poker but Zynga poker is still huge and it's one of the big drivers but I don't understand why people would pay money for fake chips that you can never cash out <laughs> like it may, maybe it's just because I played poker but it just sounds crazy to me but a lot of people do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, I mean that's one of their, their core. That's one of their forever franchises. It's, it's been around for almost ten years, and it, it is still quite popular. There's still tons of people on there, and it just kind of boggles my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of these companies kind of fall into um, the eighty twenty rule in a lot of ways, right? You have 
um, about 80% of your revenue coming from about 20% of your your customers. Um, and and that's great. Well, so, in Zynga's case, it's more like 2%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their, pay, their pay conversion is like 2.3%, I think, last quarter. <laughs> that, which which just gives you a sense of what a small chunk of people are are really floating this company along, and um, you know you you see numbers like daily actives and and obviously that's you know been trending down for some of these companies lately, but it's an even smaller fraction of that that's really at the core of what's driving business results for them, um, and that that's not a large base to work off of. Right, I mean premium is the way to go because I mean all the top grossing games in the app stores are premium games and so i mean clearly this the model works for for some people but i mean i think the big lesson that they both have to learn is you know you can't really invest tons of money in development and on on these new games that have really short shelf lives i mean mobile games have incredibly short shelf lives so it's you know it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to invest a ton of money on a risk on, on a risky bet like that i mean yeah there are these success stories but it's a numbers game, and the numbers are not in your favor. Yeah, you mentioned uh, some of the top uh, apps and, and kind of the rankings and the way the App Store works. We're going to touch a little bit on that on the second half of the show. Before we get over to that, though, I want to give a shout-out to Bombfell. Bombfell is an online personal styling service for men that helps get the right clothes for you. After completing a simple questionnaire, you're matched one-on-one with a dedicated personal stylist who handpicks every piece. <laughs> Your stylist will email you his or her selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're totally in control. Bombfell works with a wide variety of options, scouring menswear brands and designers from around the world to send you pieces that work best for you. Then the clothing is shipped straight to your door. No need to spend hours shopping online or in the store. Pay for the clothes you keep and send back the rest at no charge. It's the only styling service that doesn't charge a styling fee or subscription fee. We actually tried out Bombfell when we found out they'd be sponsoring the show here at HQ. Ran through the sign-up process, dropped in our personal preferences. I mentioned that I'm more of an athletic build and tend to embrace the fool's casual dress code uh, with a lot of hoodies and jeans and kind of flannel shirts and things like that. I actually opened up my Bombfell box when it came with energy host Sean O'Reilly, and I have to say they absolutely nailed it. Uh, we were standing around the editorial pod opening up our stuff. I think I was wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. Sean had on kind of dressier pants, uh, a V sweater, and a nice button down underneath. And we we pulled the clothes out of the box, and they more or less matched uh, the exact style that we were wearing. Uh, you know, just slightly different patterns. Um, needless to say, their stylists know what they're doing, and uh, it, it's a really great service. Um, we actually have a special offer for our listeners. $25 off your first purchase. Just go to bombfell.com slash fool. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash fool. Once again, that's bombfell.com slash fool for $25 off your first purchase. So, Evan, getting back to our conversation, uh, I teased that I would talk a little bit about some of the App Store rankings that we see from some third-party research firms. Uh, App Annie is kind of the authority in this space, and you can go to their website, and, and they make their most recent month's data available. And, and I think one thing that kind of highlights the trouble for Glue Mobile and for Zynga is that they don't really appear too prominently in the rankings of top-grossing apps. Um, neither of them have a game in the top 10 on that list, at least specific to iOS right now. Um, they were two of the big fish in this space just a year ago, 
and and I think or just a couple years ago, and I think that that really speaks to how much turnover there is in user interest um, when it comes to mobile gaming and how hard it is to s- sustain success. Yeah, I think part of the issue is that um, I mean, if you compare mobile pla- mobile game platforms compared to something like console game platforms, there's so much more competition on the mobile side because. I mean, the barriers to entry are so low. I mean, on one hand, it's inspiring because you can have these small indie game developers that can really compete on equal footing with these gaming giants. And I mean, there are there are plenty of stories of like people that hit it big, like small independent developers that are just a you know a handful of people come and they can really hit it big and and see considerable success. And you know, versus a console game where the R and D costs on a console game are incredibly high. You have licensing fees. You got to pay the console makers. You have distribution. Like it's just a much, you know, the barriers to entry there are much higher. I mean, no two or three person. It's really hard for like a small independent developer to to really make a compelling game, but particularly on these kind of AAA, really you know, headline games. You know, we're talking about EIE and Activision. I mean, they they do really good with these really high you know blockbuster franchises that they refresh every year, and that's not something that like a mobile like an indie game developer can really compete on. But on mobile, they can. So there's just it's like a floodgate of competition. I mean, there's so many games on mobile that it's really hard to stand out. And like consumer preferences change. Everyone's fickle because no one pays for games. <laughs> so you know you don't really have a incentive to stay. I mean, if you got a game free and you don't like it, you just delete it and then you move on. Versus you know in console games, usually you know you pay quite a bit of money, so you're going to play the game. So it, I think the the competitive landscape is just very different fundamentally and that i mean i that's kind of why like i there is a lot of opportunity in mobile gaming because there's a lot of money but i think the better play is to kind of pick the big the big guys like the big video game manufacturer uh, game makers that are kind of expanding into mobile while they have their kind of core businesses that are solid and profitable that can kind of have these more sustainable cash flows and then versus the route of like a mope going for one of these mobile only pure plays like Zinger or Gluk, which it it's just no sustainable advantage in my mind. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, I mean, I think that when you look at an Activision or an EA or Take Two porting over what has been a very successful franchise to mobile, which is absolutely what a lot of those companies are trying to do, um, that looks a lot more appealing. It looks a lot more successful, and even if it doesn't work out, you can fall back on the base of you know these really strong console businesses that they have. Um, you know, you're banking on kind of catching lightning in a bottle repeatedly with looking at the pure play mobile game publishers. Um, so, so at least my investor takeaway for this conversation and just kind of the broad gaming space is it's it's better to be with the slightly more diversified and more established traditional publishers because. It's so hard to predict success, even as you're seeing these turnarounds with Glue and with Zynga, um, just because of the nature of the of the industry they operate in. Right. I mean, like they're they're up for the past year, but where are they going to be in three to five years? I mean, you really can't even answer that question, <laughs> like because things change so quickly. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity, so it is important for the the kind of the big guys to expand into. I mean, Activision bought King Digital, which you know, we talked about Candy Crush earlier. So, I mean, you know, that's their one of their methods to kind of get some mobile exposure. EA has, you know, made some pretty good acquisitions on mobile. I mean, they, they got Plants vs. Zombies a few years back. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think it is important for some of these companies to kind of try to capitalize on the opportunity. But, 
uh, at the same time, try, yeah, those pure plays are just too risky, in my opinion. I, I, I would never touch any of them. Well, Frank, I hope that answers your question. And listeners, if you have any questions you want us to hit on the show, you can always tweet us at MF Industry Focus or shoot us an email at industryfocus@pool.com, and we will be sure to hit it. We love getting questions from listeners. Kind of takes all the brainstorming for show ideas out of our hands. Uh, Evan, anything else before I let you go? No, I think we we hit it pretty well. I mean, just stay away from these companies. <laughs> <laughs> Sage advice. Uh, well, enjoy your weekend, man. I'll talk to you next week. You too. All right, listeners, if you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. This was a particularly problematic episode for me. Got a rough night's sleep, and it clearly came across in the recording. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. (laughs) 